Welcome to A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. Hi there, I'm Jordan Rich with a pretty easy task and a fun one at that. I pose questions to Larry and with that razor sharp memory of his and a great talent for storytelling, well, you just have to settle back and enjoy the ride. All right, now today's episode is really going to be fun because I have a love and interest in theater and we're going to be talking about Larry's thespian career. And I know that you're a lover of music. I didn't know as much about your love for and admiration for the theatrical arts. So let's uh, let's delve into this. What is the Midsummer Night's Dream experience, first of all? Well, my love for the theatrical arts is that um, I really didn't make it as an actor because uh, when I was at the University of Massachusetts, they had a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Let me proceed that by saying that when one of these guys who draws caricatures of uh, of people in college, they are itinerant, itinerant, and they come around to the fraternity house and everybody sits down and the caricaturist mm. draws a picture of that particular person. He was he drew one of me that uh, is useful to this day. As a matter of fact, uh, on the logo for this show, I made it available to the artist. Right, um, right. It's right. great so, artwork. It really yeah, is. oh, and we're going to have the logo very soon. Her name is... Uh, is uh, uh, Holly uh, and Sulo S U L L O. She's uh, another one that's good. It's a good thing she's my friend. She's American, but she her background is Sicilian. Um, <laughs> but um, I think that uh, this caricaturist many years ago at college drew me as holding up Yorick skull like from Hamlet. Oh, quite dramatic. And there were broken eggs and tomatoes all over <laughs> the and uh, obviously the and the, there was the people in the audience were booing me for a bad performance. So this came to be true because when we did a Midsummer Night's Dream, I had one line and I flubbed it. Oh, what do you remember the line? No, I don't. Yeah, something <laughs> something like it had to do with something being funny or amusing, but it was, it, you know, I mean, Shakespeare would never say it was funny. He said something else, and I forget what it was. Uh, that that reminds me of the famous uh, scene, the famous joke. You know the joke? You have one line uh, as an actor on Broadway, and it's, hark, I hear the cannons roar, and the guy practices the line for weeks. He's so excited. It's big break. He's got one line. He's holding a spear. Hark, I hear the cannons roar. Hark, I hear the cannons roar. They go through the rehearsals. Opening night. They, they add the actual sound effect of the cannon. The scene comes, cannon goes, boom! And the guy goes, what the hell was that? <laughs> that reminded me of that joke. Sorry about that. Didn't well, mean as a matter of fact, I mean, I probably practiced it a million times, and it was one line. And But what came into my head, because I forgot the line, was, because it's funny. And, you know, every <laughs> Didn't sound very <laughs> bard-like, I guess. No, no, not at all. Wow. And, uh, but my real memory of A Midsummer Night's Dream is that there's some dancing in A Midsummer Night's sure. Dream. So there was this woman, young woman, I was 18, 19, who danced mm. and uh, in a sort of a flimsy outfit that right. would go in A Midsummer Night's Dream. And she would, after she danced, she would come over and my, I was about to go on and she came off and she stood next to me ready to go on again and so, you know, she was she was sweating, oh. and um, 
I'm sort of breathing her in. We're, we're hanging on every word here now, Larry. And I'm thinking, and, and when I came to write about it, I said, this is like Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman. <laughs> <laughs> and, what a uh, great tie-in that is, my goodness. Hoo-ha! <laughs> and, and so I think what I said in my, uh, what I said in my memoir was uh, that I said to myself, oh, God! And, uh, and she, was, she was really... It's kind of nice looking. She didn't know me from, from Adam. Yeah, but but there's a certain close. I've been done a lot of shows, and there's a certain closeness backstage because you have to be quiet. It's dark, and you usually have a little tiny space to be cramped together with. You'd want to be together with somebody like that, is what I'm saying. Well, you know, this leads me to tell you something else. In my law office for many years, now I have it at home. Hogarth, the very famous uh, English uh, uh, artist. Drew a very very famous drawing called uh, "Play uh, Players" or, or, or it has a couple of titles by Act of Parliament, uh, women backstage at a show. Uh, Not women, but the, the players backstage, yeah. and it's got a whole group of players, men, women, and some of the women are bare-breasted, and there's one couple with a guy is is speaking to the to the woman, and it's obvious he's he's trying to seduce her, and uh, there's probably 15 people in the picture. The picture is quite well known. It's in many copies. I bought it um, a long time ago, and uh, I think I paid like $300 for it. Probably worth more now. It's uh, uh, you know a typical. It's one of the most famous pictures that Hogarth drew, and it's in big. So that. Um, that's that's like the story I told you about <laughs> UMass. I mean, that is, you know. I you mean, know, it, it, it's interesting. It's just a little sidebar here. You're an attorney by trade. You're a writer. You're also a speaker, public speaker, and obviously you do it quite well. You 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 have the chops to be an actor. Do you ever regret not doing more with it on a stage? No, because uh, what I did discover, um, off stage acting. Off-stage acting. Let's talk about that. Well, what I found out was that even if I didn't become an actor, and maybe I would have had the jobs to be an actor if I took it up seriously, but I never did take it up seriously. But there's big opportunities to be an actor in practicing law. There's big opportunities to be an actor in my everyday life. As you say, I appear in a lot of Zoom programs. I'm appearing here with you. Um, I love to talk. And I love to, I think I have a, an ability to bring an ordinary story about life yeah. to life. Well, you also love to connect with people, and that's what a, an acting experience is all about. It's, it's, a, it's an odd, subtle connection that's not necessarily one-on-one. It's one-on-300 or 3,000. And I know you feel comfortable in front of large groups. You've done it many, many times. So uh, now did, uh, before we talk about uh, an actual play that is based on your work, did you, over the course of time, besides crashing the set uh, and the stage at Guys and Dolls in college, have you ever uh, hung out with theater people? Do you have anybody in the in the theater world that you've come to know? Or Yeah. I mean, because when I did uh, Jews on First, when it started out as a musical, I'm, there was a guy named Larry Tish, T-I-S-H, who lives over in Cambridge, who became quite well known for the, for uh, a show that has had a good life for quite a while now called The Black Jew Dialogue. 
The Black Jew Dialogue. Yeah, and um, Dialogues, maybe it is. And um, so he never has become super famous as an actor, but he certainly is uh, of the acting uh, school. Uh, Have I ever... uh, And I guess I've known various people. But, you know, I've come to respect much more as I've gone on in life the art of acting Mm. because a really good actor can project uh, ideas and uh, personalities so well that you come to understand experiences beyond your own. And and when an actor or actress makes it look easy, sometimes they don't get enough, enough credit for the craft that they're exhibiting. I mean, um, you mentioned Shakespeare. Uh, so many greats have done Hamlet. Uh, besides the Larry picture with the skull and, and the eggshells. <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, and, and there are so many different interpretations of it. I'm a huge fan of the theater, and, uh, you know, we missed it during the pandemic, that's for sure. Well, you know, Billy Crystal, I mean, you know, like in, uh, I guess in Hamlet, he he played one of the grave, grave diggers. Oh, yeah? And um, he was terrific. Yeah. I mean, and as you say, different actors bring different interpretations to things. And um, it's not just one way. And uh, look, I mean, Hamlet, that particular role has been played by a lot of different people. I've always wanted to ask this of lawyers, and I never have, so I'll ask you. Um when you're practicing law in a trial setting, do you ever think Atticus Finch, Perry Mason, uh, any of the great fictional characters that are – I mean, seriously, have you ever put yourself in a position when you watch a film or something like that? Ah, that could be me up there Well, let me in put that it, guise. Yeah, let me put it this way. Um, Hollywood tends to – I mean, Atticus Finch and, and fictional characters like that, um, you know, they, they – they have to think of their audience and they have to think of uh, dramatizing things. Uh, When you're a lawyer, you're really representing somebody else and you have to think of the best thing you can do for that person. But the answer to your question is yes. I think we might have talked about this particular case, but I've done it in many cases. I've had, there was a case where I represented somebody, uh, it was a criminal case, and she was uh, indicted, this lady, for certain things that happened in the nursing field, mm-hmm. nursing home field. The, uh, the people on the other side, the, uh, the prosecution, they said to me that we're kind of afraid of you because of the way you speak in court, <laughs> that you'll get this lady who was really guilty off. But, of course, my job is to represent it. To oh, the absolutely. Yeah, so in that particular case, you know, I, I, um, I do get— now, I wouldn't say carried away, but I was always unafraid to express things that weren't exactly down the line um, and um, to try and bring the best part of my client's case to the judge or the judge and jury, the best face that could be put upon it. Now, the case that you and I might have talked about was the last big criminal case I had involving the guy who drove a car into a bicyclist and then took off. I don't know whether I told you about that no, case. No, not yet. No. Right, so, so that uh, he, drove, he drove into a bicyclist in Alston, and uh, he thought that Alston was a dangerous place, and the, the, the kid on the bike was grievously injured. And this guy, who was not a criminal, just a regular family guy, took off, and they didn't catch him until 20 miles later. 
so that you can imagine how seriously the district attorney took that mm. case. And it was a tough lady prosecutor, mm-hmm. and she wanted him to go to jail for 10 years. And I didn't think that 10 years, you know, she wanted him to go to state prison. Mm-hmm. So the, the, uh, the, the judge was a female. And when I spoke about him, I really became, uh, I, I talked about uh, how, you know, his family, you know, I was arguing for community service and not, uh, not going to jail. You know, at that point, there was no question about his guilt. It was just a question of disposition. But I let it fly, and I became not emotional, but um, certainly uh, not down the line. I mean, I always tried to to give heat, meaning, and emotion to an argument like that. So at the end, the judge says, you know, uh, it was very nice that she said that. She said, you know, Mr. Rutman, she said, you're a very articulate and uh, moving speaker in your client's behalf. And I, I'm not going to release him without some jail time, but I am going to send him to the House of Correction, which is much different than state prison, mm. for a year. And he, with good behavior, he can get out in less time, which he did. And um, so and that that's like a victory. Well, offstage acting, it, it's not that you weren't sincere. You wanted to do the right thing by you to to benefit the client, but you used all of the skills that life has afforded you and experience and genetics. You know, you use what you got, and you have a powerful use of language, thanks to Miss Perkins and others, as well as a certain presence, which is sort of what actors do. And uh, as a radio guy, it's all about performance as well as substance. So I, I don't think that's far off. Well, that's why I was telling the story, because I think that is acting. Mm, so I think that even though I didn't become an actor, a lot of what I've done in life, whether it's as an attorney or it doesn't have to be in court, it can be in a conference, it can be speaking to a client, speaking to an opposing lawyer. And in the work I do now, it can be being interviewed by you and me interviewing Eddie Romero of the Red Sox about discrimination in America um, so that um, it can be used to develop a relationship quickly mm. like happened with Eddie Romero uh, so that um, I it's not it's not at all uh, it, it's it's sincere because I'm not doing anything that's false no no but why not why not what you obviously need to and want to use whatever skills you have, as I do, to uh, achieve the end goal. And that's admirable. And I think whether, whether you throw a baseball well or speak at a, at a function or, or write certain stylistically, uh, th- th- use it. It's God's gift. Use it. Well, absolutely. And, um, you know, listen, I appreciate so much, uh, um, Jordan, you asking me these questions, you know, just like you don't know exactly what I'm going to say. I do not. I, I do. really don't know where you're going to take an interview, but I don't mind wherever you take it because, uh, you know, I, I couldn't have told you we'd be talking about acting and uh, so forth uh, when I walked in here today. Well, I think that's the uh, the joy of doing it for me. But as a listener, if I were listening to somebody of your ilk, I would want to feel as though we're just eavesdropping on a conversation 
with a guy who's got a memory as sharp as anybody's. Uh, forget about being 90. You, you, you put me <laughs> under the table at times. So in a future episode, we're going to be focusing on another aspect of uh, the thespian world, and that's the show, the actual play, the musical version of your book, Jews on First. So we'll do that next time or soon. But Larry, it's great to see you, and uh, you did this whole thing without any stage makeup. Very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, stage makeup would improve me, but of course, this nobody's can see me, so I'm. Ah, okay. you figured it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, can you believe, folks, that I have a lined face and I, I? No, as a matter of fact, by the time you see this, you will see a logo that has my face on it. Smiling in, in one place, being serious in another place, being off the wall in another place. And this artist that I spoke about, uh, Holly Sulo, really got a hold of me. She did. Captured you brilliantly. I, I, it's, it's a great piece of art. It's the logo for the uh, the artwork for the podcast. I, I think you should print it up on T-shirts. I'll buy one. <laughs> Well, I won't wear one because I'm getting a little paunchy. <laughs> this has been a life lived backwards, one man's life. The accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. You can subscribe and download this podcast, available on all podcast platforms. For information on Larry, his books, lectures, and much more, visit the website LarryRuttman.com. Also check out the extensive Larry Ruttman page on Wikipedia. This is Jordan Rich inviting you to join us again next time as Larry shares more stories about friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation on a life lived backwards, one man's life.